Hey, welcome back to the Naked Security Podcast. I'm Kimberly Trung, and I'm here for a very special episode with cybersecurity analyst, researcher, author, and speaker. And you may have seen or heard her presentation recently for the Sophos of All event, Karen El Azari. Thank you so much for having me as a guest on the podcast. I've had a great time working with the Sophos team in the past couple of months preparing for the Sophos Evolve event. And it's fun to be on this podcast. I've actually listened to you know quite a few of the episodes before, so it's fun to be on the other side. Ooh, exciting. Um, so uh, if you guys don't know Karen, she has worked with so many leading security firms, government organizations, Fortune 500 companies. She's done it all. And so what I want to do for this episode is get to know Karen a little bit more, get to know how you, you got into this business, this crazy world of cybersecurity, and um, who you are as a person and any advice that you may have for our listeners. So let's get right into it. First and foremost, of course, how did you get into cybersecurity? <laughs> how did you get into hacking? How, how did that happen? Thanks, Kimberly. Well, when you say I've done it all, it's a nice way of saying I've been in this business for a long time. <laughs> and I've, I've been, you know, I've spent more than 25 years in this industry. Wow. And the reason I know that it's exactly 25 years is because the movie that got me into this industry <laughs> came out 25 years ago, and they recently celebrated the 21st anniversary, anniversary oh, no. of the film Hackers. And for me, that was the moment when I saw the movie, it came out in 1995. I saw it as a young girl here in Tel Aviv. And I saw for the first time a group of kids that, you know, kind of looked like me and represented the things that I cared about. They were passionate about computers. They were geeks. They were proud of how geeky and nerdy they were. They weren't trying to be part of the mainstream. They really embraced their outsiderness, yeah. if that's a term. And of mm -hmm. course, the character Acid Burn, portrayed by Angelina Jolie, just really captured me. And I saw, okay, there's a girl. She's in high school. She's a hacker. She's cool. In the movie, they end up being the heroes of the story. They show yeah. the FBI where the real cyber criminal is hiding. Bingo. You know, it hit all the right spots for me. And I feel like I was very lucky to have that film and that become my role model, that become the path that I aspire to. And then later on, you know, since this was in Israel, in, you know, in Tel Aviv, I also grew up in an environment that was very open to technological experimentation, to innovation, to curiosity, where as a child, I had access to a computer lab in my school. We even had an early wow. robotics lab. I wow. was able to get my own computer when, of course, I begged my parents and then I got my own computer. <laughs> I got my own access to the internet. I had my own access to the internet from about 1993, 1994, so about a year before Hackers wow. came out. Yeah. So... You know, even today, not every young girl or boy somewhere around the world, right. have all, they don't always have these privileges, the access to the learning resources or the computers, or even just see somebody that looks like something, you know, looks like something they want to do. And that was something I really, that was really important to me, I think, the seeing that movie and having access to those learning opportunities. But specifically, it was movies and it was hackers. And then later on, sneakers came out just, you know, within within a year from hackers. And the movie sneakers also showed me, well, this could actually be a job. I could do, 
basically penetration testing and risk assessments yeah. as a job. If you remember sneakers, that big part of the coolness factor is that they get to like rob banks for a living, but they're the good guys. <laughs> And it's not just like an alternative high school hacker kind of thing. It's a job for life. Like these people have been doing it for a couple of years and there's like a whole group and a community surrounding it. And I just saw these films and I realized this is the industry. This is a community that exists somewhere out there in the world. And I could find my way into it if I, you know, if I use that curiosity that I already had to, to learn, to find out, to teach myself how the internet worked, how web pages work, how web servers work. And I was just taking things apart and learning from that, which is, I think, a way a lot of people uh, start out their path. I was also quite lucky to, like I mentioned, to grow up here in Israel. We had our first international hacker conference right here in Tel Aviv in uh, just at the uh, early, early days uh, of the year 2000, or it might have been wow. the last the last days of 1999, the first days of 2000. The conference was called Y2Hack as a play on yeah. Y2K. <laughs> of yeah, that was that was literally 20 years ago. But when I came to that I can't conference, believe it. yeah, it, it, it was such a cheesy name. But, you know, we had Kevin Mitnick, who was still in prison. Wow. And at the time, he was like the most wanted hacker, most famous hacker in the world. Yeah. And we had like a phone call where we, the conference of hackers in Tel Aviv, called him and said, we support you, Kevin. We had like three <gasps> Kevin stickers. Wow. And, you know, we we had a midnight viewing of hackers. And of course, there were amazing talks about all sorts of, you know, how wireless networks are becoming a thing and how we could crack passwords for wireless networks. That was kind of a new thing 20 years ago. Right. <laughs> yeah. So, so I've had these opportunities that kind of opened up the doorways. And then the yes. official start, if you wanted to put like an official date, is when I joined mm. the Israeli military. Not a lot yes. of the, I imagine maybe some people know, but maybe not all the listeners for this, of this podcast know that here in Israel, we all serve in the Israeli military. Girls and boys, we have mandatory mm -hmm. service starting at the age of 18. Most people, not, not really 100% of people, but a, a big chunk of the population serves. And mm -hmm. I had... That was when I had my first professional break, if you will, not just hacking, uh, but really doing it as part of my job and doing it and learning more about security as part of my job when wow. I was drafted into one of the information security departments within the Israeli military. And, and again, I think there was an Incredible. element of being in the right place in the right time because, again, 20 years ago, there weren't that many militaries around the world that even looked at information security as a you know, as a job or as a position, maybe they had some people doing it, but they definitely not an entry level job for an 18 year old, right. right? Who doesn't have any professional uh, background, any academic diplomas, you know? So having that entry level position in the army really set me on the path for the professional career that I later on developed. So that's the long answer to how I got to where I that's, am 25 no, that years ago. That is so incredible. I think that's such a fantastic story because um, I've, I've had a few of these interviews so far and everybody has a different path, right, as to how they get into this. And sometimes it's people who are like, I just wanted to, ex I just wanted to break open this computer and play around and 
then, you know, I, you know, growing up with the dial up, I wanted to figure out how I, uh, you know, could get into these different networks. It's very interesting how people have very different backgrounds. But man, talk about like a topic that is often, I think, talked about now, especially in Hollywood is representation, right? And talk about a woman, Angelina Jolie, playing this like hacker character in the, the movie and probably, you know, not even realizing it, you as a, you know, young woman, young girl, seeing seeing yourself in her, right? Seeing yourself as like, oh, I could do that. I could be in this world as well. I think that's so interesting and important. So that's awesome to hear. I am curious, you had mentioned that you had gotten into the Israeli army. And then how did you get into that very particular position of entering like cybersecurity? How did that go about? Is that something you apply for? Is that something you check a box and say, I'm interested in this? Or? I kind of had to hack my way, to be honest. So uh, <laughs> it's yes, true. Tell it's us. true. But uh, just before I, before I go to that, just to uh, riff on what you said on the representation angle, I think it was absolutely remarkable that, you know, when I saw when the movie came out, they had uh, a, a boy hacker, a girl hacker. There was a character that was kind of non-binary that was kind of like wearing some makeup. Very progressive for the right? time. Right? Yeah, there yeah. were there was uh, there were people of color within their hacking group. There were Fantastic. all kinds, you know, people from all backgrounds were part of that hackers film and they really did a great job doing that you know because they there's a group of, of asian hackers that helps them and then you see a, a group of people from europe and then you see a group of people from here there's like people from all a over global, the place yeah yeah they uh -huh. have this this really exciting montage and when i saw the montage i was like oh so these guys are not just in new york and it's not just guys it's people <laughs> all over the world it's like the hacker nation they're all coming together right and they also did a really good uh point of kind of riffing on how the boy hacker assumed that the other hacker he met online was probably another boy. And then, you know, when he realized it was a girl, he respected her in a different way. There was a whole, you know, there was a moment about that in the movie. Mm -hmm. I think that's something they also did in the Matrix. If you remember the first Matrix movie, another yes. important movie in, in the history of a lot of us, that Neo assumes that Trinity was a guy. And then, you know, Trinity tells him, yeah, yeah most guys do. Most guys assume <laughs> I'm a guy, but they're wrong. So that really spoke to me that, that I saw all of these different people represented. I saw a girl that I could relate with. I saw that this is a very diverse community. To me, that really resonated. That it's not just, you know, American boys, or it's not just this kind of person. It's a lot of different types of people. Now about yeah. the military service, that's a, I can't, I can't share everything, obviously, although 20 years ago, <laughs> yeah, but yeah, still, I can't share everything about the process. But uh, some of the process in Israel happens before you, you're even 18. Some of it starts when you're in high school, you go through aptitude tests, you go through all kinds of quizzes, you go through security clearing. And this is very normal. So kids 16, 17, they go out and they test out to maybe become a pilot or become, uh, I don't know, a tank driver mm -hmm. or a tank warrior or something mm. like that. So I, I went through a few of these, but nothing was a, a, anything like specific to cybersecurity in any way. Not, not back then anyway. The first day when it's the day, like when you go into the, you know, just before they ship you off to boot camp, they get you in the processing center, give you ill-fitting uniform, give you your shots, <laughs> take your photo, you know, the whole thing you might've seen in maybe yeah. some movies. It does doesn't really matter which military it is. It's a very depressing process. Very, very yeah. similar. Yeah. Very, very no exciting matter process, right? Where you kind of oh, go in and I like, instead imagine. of being an individual, you're kind of part of something that's much bigger with the right. uniform and everything. And then I, I, I go into a small room and 
there's an officer that kind of goes through my file and he's got a whole heap of files, all of these other kids' files, girls and boys. And he goes through the files and he, he looks at mine and he looks at me. He's like, yeah, you, what's your story? Like that. Like, what's your story? Oh. And then I can respond. And I did. I'm a hacker and I want to be a hacker for the army. Is there any way for me to do that? And he was wow. like, a hacker, huh? Mm, okay. I'm not even <laughs> sure he totally understood the meaning of the what word. What you were this talking is, about? Yeah, this is the, the early... Tw- 2000s, but right. he was like, okay, I think I know what we're going to do with you. And then, you know, he sent me, of course, to boot camp. And then I went from boot camp to another course and then another specific uh, training. And throughout all of these touch points, I kept repeating it like a mantra I'm a hacker, I'm a hacker, let me hack, let me work on, you know, on information security. And by repeating that, it was, uh, you know, I don't know if I hacked my way, but by repeating that and making sure that I made my knowledge and my experience and my passion for it known, I was able to get ultimately to the door of, you know, the, one of the department heads or a general of some sort. And I, this is a great story. And uh, I, I don't know if I've shared it before. So it's a scoop for, for this Ooh. podcast. I Xeroxed an article from Wired magazine. I had a, <laughs> I, I had a, a relative bring me like a, physical printed copy a of Wired magazine. magazine. Yeah. yeah, this is early, early 20,000. <laughs> and I had Xeroxed an article about wireless security and about like the dangers of unsecure networks. And I just put it on the table, like it's this very dramatic kind of Hollywood moment. I kind of put it on the desk of this general. And I yes. was, you know, I was not a general. I was like the, the lowliest of <laughs> right. the lowliest soldiers, like an 18 year old girl. And I said, Mr. General, you're not dealing with the right problems. This is what you should be focusing on. You're missing. And it's an important problem that nobody's looking at. And I want to, you know, I was just filled with what we call in Israel chutzpah. I don't know if you've heard this term. (laughs) But I was just (laughs) filled with chutzpah. I probably had more chutzpah than know-how, but I (laughs) I just did it. And he was like, oh, okay, well, I'll take it into advisement. And then a couple of weeks later, he sent me off to do a proof of concept to show him that I really could, wow. you know, do what I what I said could happen. And after proving that, I got my next chance and my next chance, and you know, it started off like my military career, if, if you will. So that's, that that's the story in in short. That is fantastic. Uh, that is <laughs> such an incredible story, and that's why I love asking these questions because you never know what you know memory it's going to jog up uh, from your past. But that is such a fantastic story. Okay, so that's a little bit about your past. Uh, let's talk about your present. So you obviously are a cybersecurity analyst. You do a researcher. You do a lot of work for different, like I said, Fortune 500 companies and government organizations. When you're going into these places, what do you find is like the biggest problem that there, or a common problem that you see amongst all these different orgs that you've worked for? Fantastic question, actually. That's really great. So one of the things that I've always tried to bring to the table and what I hope is, you know, part of what makes the work I do impactful is to bring the hacker perspective and to showcase to the organizations, just like I did with that general in the army, but to you know, technology companies. <laughs> Minus banks, the Wired magazine. <laughs> yeah, right? But show them what they're missing, what, what an outside hacker could easily find, could easily do, and that they're missing. And a lot of the times, you know, one of the things they're missing is that they, they do invest a lot in, in defensive strategy and security tools and lots of technology, lots of different products. But they don't always, you know, really invest as much in researching what is the actual threat that is targeting 
our company? What is, you know, what is a feasible threat against us? How should that offense inform our defensive choice? Right. And, and, and of course, the strategy varies with different organizations. I tend to work a lot with European or Europe-based companies and European organizations where they have very robust, very conservative security approaches. And as part of that security you know, paradigm that they have, learning from the attackers doesn't really play into it enough from my point of view. So if you ask me what, what's something that I see a lot, and, and of course, it's hard to characterize all of these different organizations that I work with put everything in the same bucket. But that's one of the phenomena that I see a lot. And it's very important for me to point out, missing out what is the actual attack landscape, to use a term that's been maybe overused, but what, <laughs> what are the actual threats that are specific to your organization, to your sector, to your country, mm-hmm. to the, you know, the type of people that work for you? What's the sort of thing that they might fall for? thinking about that in a very specific way. And that's that's part of the work that I do in trying to help uh, help the businesses and the companies and organizations I work with kind of really get that outsider hacker's perspective. And do you find that uh, you said that they're conservative about wanting to like uh, explore things from the hacker's perspe- perspective? Do you think it's because hackers have such a bad reputation and they don't want to be seen as, is that it? Is it because of the reputation thing? I think the reputation certainly plays a part of that. It's the reputation. It's also the perception. So for imagine a European organization, a business that's been around for more than 200 years or more than 100 years, right? Something like that. And for them, consulting with somebody who identifies as a hacker is maybe a little out there. It's maybe a little controversial, Uh, you know recognizing that we can actually learn from what hackers are doing, it's maybe a little controversial. And that's Mm -hmm. one of the main messages that I'm trying to bring to the table. And that's also what I did, I believe and hope with my TED talk from 2014. I talked about how hackers can teach us important lessons. Now I framed it as hackers are the internet's immune system. Right now, during the the age of COVID-19, talking about an immune system, I think we all need to build up our digital immune system. And a big part of building a digital immune system comes from the offense. It teaches us, it informs us, it forces us to evolve. And yes, of course, there are many friendly hackers out there. That that was a big part of what I talked about um, and what I talk about all the time, that there are hundreds and thousands of friendly hackers like me that we call ourselves hackers, but we're not bad people. We're not the bad guys. We're not the criminals. We're not the spies or the the terrorists. We're not malicious. Rather, it's the many hackers that are driven by curiosity, driven by their passion for technology, and they just can't see something broken in the world and leave it be, right? So we have to, to poke it. We have to say, hey, you know what? This is broken. Or somebody malicious, not me, but somebody malicious could use this to get in or to do something nefarious. You may want to look at that. You may want to solve it. You may you may want to change your technology there if if you're leaving it as wide open as you are, and that's you know the reputation of hackers has been it didn't just uh, it wasn't just born like that. It's fueled right. by years of uh, Hollywood and television, but also <laughs> right. also by real world attacks and cyber crime. Yes. Yes, there are malicious hackers out there and they are using hacking capabilities to make our lives harder, to steal money from us, to disrupt the things that we're trying to do. It's actually, you know, a growth industry, right? Being a cyber criminal is actually 
uh, a very mm. lucrative line of work, especially during right. COVID-19. Everybody's stuck at home. Everybody's doing e-commerce. Everybody's much more right. uh, susceptible to phishing or uh, other types of threats. But that doesn't mean all hackers out there are bad. It doesn't mean that right. the perception has to be that hacking is a criminal activity. The hundreds and thousands of friendly hackers that contribute daily on bug bounty programs, on open source uh, oh, security absolutely. projects, they are yeah. a big part of the solution. They're not a part of the problem. And it's, it's, it's difficult to differentiate. The term hacker kind of relates to both, right? But those people, the friendly hackers, as you put it, they don't get the attention, right? Because it doesn't make the headlines, right? Uh, a headline, uh, they want to report about the big the big hack of uh, insert huge company, right? They don't want to report on, I mean, th- why would they? But like, you're not going to hear in the news about how, you know, uh, uh, this friendly hacker ultimately shut down a very targeted attack. You know, that's never going to be public news. So of course, like we have this like, very specific and biased perception of what a hacker is and what they're up to. I think it's changing. You know what, Kimberly? I really think it's changing. That's because, good. Yeah, 10 years ago or 15 years ago, maybe you wouldn't hear about a friendly hacker or a hacker hero. Although in the movies, there are hacker heroes, or at least there were in the 90s, right? The, yeah. Those hackers that I grew up on. Uh, but it has changed. And with media depictions like Mr. Robot, People are mm-hmm. seeing a more nuanced, more complicated vision of how a hacker can be a hero, but also an anti-hero, how the, even the same person can use their skills in a variety of ways. Uh, but in the case of specifically friendly hackers, right now, I feel like there is a change that's happening. And the change started in the past four or five, six years. I, I, you know, I can't take credit for all of it. I want to take credit for a small, I'm sure you're a part a small of it. percentage of it. You know, <laughs> I'm with sure Ted, you have a good chunk. Ted giving me the platform to talk about the idea of yes. hackers being helpful. Nobody, you know, said anything about that on on a TED stage before. Or if you look at Marcus Hutchins, uh, aka MalwareTech, a kid whose hack, hacker nickname was literally MalwareTech, and he was hailed as the accidental hero when he stopped the WannaCry virus. Mm. Now, to add complication to things, after he was celebrated by the UK tabloids, they unveiled and uncovered his personal identity, which led or in some way played into his arrest later on that year at a hacker conference for crimes that he allegedly committed years before that, and that had something to do with cybercrime. So even the same person that maybe when they were 16 had something to do with cyber criminal activities because they didn't know better, can become and evolve into the hero that stopped WannaCry just a few years later on. So there are more nuanced, more, you know, many-sided views of how hackers have been helpful. And one reason I think that we're hearing more about friendly hackers is also the money. So, you know, bug bounty programs have really exploded in the past couple of years. And when in the past, it used to be something more anecdotal, like, hey, I found a bug and I got this cool T-shirt, or maybe I got an invite to a exclusive party, or maybe Tesla took me out for a helicopter ride in Vegas, which is something right. they, they are known to do for some of the top hackers <laughs> they work with, you know, all kinds of stories. <laughs> Recently, what we're hearing about and what, you know, one of the things I'm tracking are bug bounty millionaires, kids or, you know, people in their 20s or 30s that make a lot of money from just doing bug 
bounties all day. And other people who right. supplement their day job or subsist entirely just on bug bounty programs. And that's really changing, I think, the face of the industry. Because 10 years ago, 15 years ago, if you were to find a bug in an app or a software product, an application, a website, and you wanted to do the right thing, you wanted to report it, maybe you could report it, maybe not. Maybe there was an, a, you know, an easy access point. You, know, you could reach somebody on the website. Maybe you can send an email. Maybe there was a phone number you could call. Maybe not. You'd have to identify. You'd have to provide details. And you ran the risk of being charged with criminal charges for you know right. for what you did now that risk still exists but now there is a very easy legitimate legal pathway for people to report vulnerabilities via bug bounty programs get recognized get acknowledged get paid even if they happen to live in a part of the world that doesn't have a thriving computer security industry you know i i was lucky to grow up in a country and for me, the military service was my ticket in. And then after that, we have a very you know, thriving cybersecurity industry here in Israel. And that kind of allowed me to move on and on with my career. But mm. what if you're what if you live somewhere where you don't have access to, right. you know, to that thing, but you do have the skill sets, you do have the curiosity, you do, you do have the knowledge. Now you can take that knowledge and you can use it to to make money, to get bounties, to do the right thing. And you don't have to turn to the dark side. You don't have to play around in, in the cyber criminal kind of sandbox. So that alternative exists now, and it wasn't as accessible a decade ago. I, that's such a great history to give to our listeners. If you're, I'm slowly learning about the history of like bug bounties and vulnerability disclosure. Actually, I I had um, a few episodes ago, I had a conversation with Katie Mazuris, who is, uh, as I'm sure you know her, uh, CEO and founder of Luta Security, amongst other things, basically mother of Microsoft's bug bounty program. And um she gave me a whole like back, you know, just a whole education on bug bounties and how it's evolved over the years and how there's still much work left to be done. So um, that was a great conversation, but uh, I love hearing about this. So I want to pivot a little bit because obviously we had you as a guest speaker uh, for our Sophos Evolve Summit, which happened a few weeks ago, and um, which I'll leave some links in here if you want to check it out, listeners, uh, sophos.com slash evolve. The topic of your discussion was basically cybersecurity in a time of COVID-19. Can you give us like a little um, preview if anybody wants to go and watch your presentation, what you talk about and, you know, what is happening with everything going on with this pandemic and cybersecurity? Absolutely. And I recommend you go and check out the talk. It was a lot of fun preparing and working on that talk because it was a chance to really showcase, like I always try to showcase, what is the hacker point of view? What is the attacker point of view? And mm. what I discussed is how criminal groups have used this time to evolve and adapt. They haven't been doing just the same things that they did you know, a month before COVID or a year before COVID. A lot of things have changed. There's some new business models. There's some new practices. Of course, using COVID as a lure or as a way to get on people's machines or to get on people's inboxes, to get people to click on links, to install malicious apps. COVID has been a very useful tool for criminals because it's something that's very universal, a lot of people care about. And there's also highly specific 
things that attackers can do with COVID. For example, if a specific country now has a relief grant for businesses and there's an application process that people have to go through online, there are a lot of chances that the people that have to go through this process are not necessarily digital natives. They might be people you know, whose livelihood was affected by the virus. They might not have just you know, moved in and started working from home. Maybe right. you know, they're retailers or maybe whatever they're doing, small business. They lost their livelihood. They're very, very susceptible now to manipulation. And criminals have really tacked onto that with creating fraudulent um, campaigns, fraudulent sites, and trying to actually get people to share their financial details. And to me, that's really adding insult to injury. This is something that's already hit somebody who's already been hit by the pandemic. They're trying to get help and criminals are tricking them with fake relief grant applications. But that's just one example. On the technical side, on the technical side, a lot of criminals are also really capitalizing on the fact that companies have had to kind of redeploy or pivot some of their infrastructure for right. a remote work from home reality. So that mm -hmm. has actually exposed a lot of potential vulnerabilities, both in the organizational infrastructure, remote desktop connections, different types of you know, access pathways that have been laid, that have been made available and open. And also people working from home now on the home computer, it might not necessarily be the most up-to-date, most secure endpoint out there. You know, in some, some countries, some parts of the world, when we went into lockdowns, here in Israel, we went into two phases of lockdowns, people were locked down with whatever device they had at home. And you couldn't buy a laptop right. if you wanted to, right? There were no laptops right. or webcams to be bought on the open market. So now you have to access your organizational network with whatever you have at home. Maybe it's an up-to-date device, maybe not. Maybe, Probably not. You know, right. <laughs> Maybe it's managed by the corporate IT department. Probably not, not necessarily. Not. <laughs> now all of a sudden people have to learn how to use sometimes five or six or seven different digital collaboration tools. Zoom, WebEx, Slack, you know, some cloud, Google Docs, all of these different mm -hmm. tools. Now, some people are digital natives. They've been doing this for 10 years. They're like, what's new? I just don't, you know, I don't, don't go into the car. I don't go into the office every day. I'm just using the same laptop, the same tools, the same cloud that I always did. But for a lot of people, it wasn't the same. And that adaptation created a lot of holes and potential security failures that criminals just stepped on in. They just capitalized on it, whether it's right. fake Zoom activation links or, or fake Zoom apps or Webex uh, apps or Webex login links. It doesn't matter. I, I'm not trying to point out just Zoom or Webex. Just these, oh, are, no, some, yeah, exactly. these are just some of the examples. And, yeah. uh, or, or using Google Docs in a misleading way. So really capitalizing on how there is a great chunk of the population that is now becoming a work from home, digital workforce. And a lot of these people are learning how to be you know, learning how to work digitally for the first time. Right. And and there is also a psychological element here. The people that are, you know, if you're working from home and you're doing it for the first time and you're under maybe financial duress, maybe your business not doing, you know, the company you're working for is not doing so great. You really right. want to show that you're hip to everything, right? They ask you to install mm -hmm. Slack, you do it. They ask you to do this, you do it. They, they ask you to join a conversation, you join on that call, you don't want to miss it. You want to really show the business that you're up to all of these new digital collaboration tools. And that's, again, an opportunity for a criminal to take advantage of somebody because yeah. in that moment in time, people are not as vigilant with regards to you know, security practices, two-factor authentication, password recycling, 
what's the, you know, how updated and secure the operating system is. These kind of security concerns kind of took a, a backseat to the primary concern of being digital and being productive and being present. Mm-hmm. And, and yep. these are just some of the things that uh, I'm not going to give away the whole thing, but these are just some of the things we talked about in at Evolve. And there were also some fantastic examples with uh, what's happening with ransomware. We talked about the three best friends, the three amigos, Imotet, Trickbot, and Ryak. So three, <laughs> three malware uh, families that are often seen together that help each other out in the sense that right. Trickbot or Imotet leads later on to Ryak ransomware infection. Uh, and there's some actually great, fantastic technical analysis of these as well at uh, in the, as part of that content on Sophos Evolve and also in the Sophos Annual Threat Report. I recommend you read into that. I found it really fascinating uh, to look at, you know, looking at how these ransomware campaigns are also evolving. So now we also have this element of leaks where mm-hmm. following the ransomware attack, if the files have been encrypted successfully, the criminal is now saying, well, you know, you should pay us to get the decryption key so that you have access to your files back, but you should pay us double so that we don't leak your files to the public and everybody has access to your files. (laughs) So this is like the new, yeah, and this is like the new trend. And Maze is one of the groups that kind of pioneered this trend. And they started before COVID, but they really doubled down on it in the past couple of months, although they have announced officially that they're quitting. So we'll see what's what's going on with that. Yeah, that's oh, they, they, they put out a press release November 1st that they're out of the game and they're not going to be doing it anymore um, and that they don't want to be in a cartel. They don't want to collaborate and partner with other criminal groups or other ransomware groups. Uh, we'll see. It's intriguing. So it's definitely been high, you know, high drama in, in the cyber criminal world. It's not <laughs> yeah, been, that's you know, way to put it. Yeah. They're not experiencing Zoom fatigue. They're not like in lockdown and chill. They're like really <laughs> using this time to to come up with new techniques, to double down on COVID, to double down on people working from home and really get the most out of it. And to me, the the call to action from that is that there's never been a more important time to learn about what criminals are doing. There's never been a more important time to really look at what attackers are doing closely, to bring that hacker mindset, to work with friendly hackers. Friendly hackers are also locked down. They've got free time. Work with them, right? Engage their help. So now is really a time for us as security professionals, as security community to adapt to this new normal. The reality has already changed. Now we have to kind of step up and change some of the things that we're doing, some of our paradigms. On the Naked Security podcast and on Naked Security, we off, we talk about Raya, TrickBot, um, all of these malware families and ransomware families all the time. So I'll leave some links in there for you listeners in case you guys want to read up more about that, um, as well as the Sophos threat report that we just released. But um, I want to pivot into some more fun questions for you, Karen. So what is something that you're super proud of, whether it's career-wise or personal? That's an easy one. So, I mean, the very obvious answer is I'm very proud of my TED Talk. It, it was an incredible achievement It's a great for talk. Me. Thank you. Thank you so much. It was an incredible achievement for me. I was the first Israeli woman to be ever to be invited to speak at the annual TED conference. Wow. That, yeah, that particular TED that I spoke at, it's not a TEDx, it's not a local event, it's the main one. Bill Gates is in the audience. Sergey and Larry are <laughs> no, passing no by. No big deal. You know, <laughs> like somebody saw Cameron Diaz in the lobby. It's it's kind of like <laughs> that. Yeah. And I was easily the most anonymous person there. You know, 
pun intended. I was no, easily, yeah, you know, one of the outsiders there. And the, it was just a room full of, filled with luminaries and like Nobel Prize winners. I had in the, the particular TED event I was at, it was the 30th anniversary of TED. And they just invited all of the, their all-stars. They literally had like the wow. all-star session, like Ken Robinson, Neil Gaiman, Amanda, like all of these huge, wow. Amy Cuddy, all of these huge names, Simon Sinek, all of them were there. And I, I was just awestruck to have made it there with my, you know, with my idea that hackers can be an important for force for change in the world and that I was given that platform and I prepared for it. No, it's the speech is 16 minutes. I prepared for about nine months. It's almost like having a baby. It was, of course you did. Yeah. Yes, yeah. that's a big that's a big talk. And honestly, I, I'm not surprised at all that you're that you prepared it for nine months. I watched that TED talk in, in preparation to talking to you. I highly recommend it, listeners. If uh, you just Google uh, Karen, I'll leave a link in the show notes as well. But um, Google her TED talk. It is so fantastic, and it's from 2014, but still very relevant events six years later. And um, one of the things you actually say, and I actually took this quote and put it in my notes. I love this quote. You said, the same people who demonize hackers use it to their benefit. And I thought, yes, of course, that absolutely hits the nail on the head. And um, I know we talked at length about this, but it's a really great talk. I highly recommend take 16 minutes out of your day. Listen to Karen's talk, uh, a TED talk. It's fantastic. When you're not working, I mean, we know cybersecurity is a very stressful industry. What are you doing to relax or de-stress? Fabulous question. So one of the things that I've embraced into my life uh, in recent years is yoga. And yes. actually, thanks to COVID-19, I have been able to uh, actually grow my yoga practice nice. to, the, to the point to the point that sometimes my, my parents and my, my family is kind of kidding. Okay, Karen, are you going to start uh, yoga teachers training soon? Are you going to become a yoga <laughs> teacher? Because I keep talking about it a lot. I absolutely recommend yoga. And in fact, when, you know, when, when COVID started, my in-person classes were, of course, canceled, but, but I had a fantastic teacher that just moved our classes to Zoom. And through <laughs> yes. practicing yoga on Zoom, it sounds, it sounds like counterintuitive, but actually through practicing alone at home with Zoom and my teacher on Zoom, I was able to grow my practice even more and to find more inner peace. And to me, that was just a benefit. I'm I'm thankful, grateful for having had that experience because without mm -hmm. COVID, I may not have had that experience. That's and true. I, I can also, you know, if if you all want to sample a little bit of yoga, but in a cybersecurity context, during B-Sides Tel Aviv, which is another thing I'm very proud of, that's the security And you're the founder of it, yes? That's right. I'm the founder of Vsites Tel Aviv in Israel. It's Israel's largest friendly hacker and security research community event. Uh, this year, we, of course, had to have our event virtual. So we went for a hybrid format where some of the talks were in person, some of them were pre-recorded, some of them were live, but it was all done in a socially distanced studio in downtown Tel Aviv. And during the day, I was able to bring in my yoga teacher to give us a short kind of 10-minute chair yoga session just for yeah. the people who are sitting at home all day just watching the conference. I believe that should be available online. But if not, uh, please, listeners, check out some of the B-Sides Tel Aviv content and give yourself a break and do some yoga. It's magical. I could not. It's so funny that you mentioned yoga because I used to do yoga pretty consistently for a few years 
years ago. And then I completely fell off a cliff, uh, forgot about yoga, didn't do any yoga or any classes. And then the pandemic hit. And funny enough, um, a good friend of mine became an instructor. He had finished his yoga certification and he was like, I'm teaching. And I was like, well, I'm going to join his class because it's my friend and I'm sure he's fantastic. And I, and he, he sucked me right back into yoga. I am now, I have now got an online virtual membership to the studio that he teaches at and I have no regrets and I couldn't agree more. Being at home has actually allowed me to do yoga like three, four times a week, which I would never have been doing. I would have never been going three to four times a week as sad as that, that is to admit in person before the pandemic. So I'm yeah, maybe this is the silver lining for both of us to come out of the pandemic with. Yeah, and that's the, that's the other thing about this stressful year that we've all been experiencing. Cybersecurity has always been stressful, but I think during the past year, it's probably a lot harder, especially because many of us security professionals, we do like to be left alone, but at the end of the day, <laughs> hackers are social creatures, right? And yes. the amounts of people that show up at DEF CON or other hacking events or B-Sides events, we do like to socialize. We do like to be amongst our peers, even if we're lone wolves at times. And yes. right now being kind of more disconnected than ever and with a lot of certainly work stress or financial stress or, stress or healthcare related stress issues, it could be a, a harder, challenging time. So my, you know, my, my final wellness recommendation is to to celebrate the little things, celebrate the silver oh, linings, yes. celebrate the things that are going well. And if you have the privilege to go for a walk around the block and the sun, the sun is shining for a little bit, or it's raining and the, the trees smell nice, or you see a, mm -hmm. a funny dog on a Zoom call, you know, these small <laughs> things are now the kind of kind of things that help, help smile, help, help us breathe through the days. So, yes. so let's embrace these little things. I'm, I'm, I'm starting to sound like a yoga teacher. I know. <laughs> <laughs> I love it. I love it. Um, next question for you. What is the best advice you've ever received? Wow. What a great question. That's like a Tim Ferriss level question. Oh, uh, look at so me. <laughs> I, yeah. So I listen to the Tim Ferriss podcast a lot. Uh, I've, I've received some really great advice in my life, but... I think, I, I hope it's not a cliche, but I'm going to go with the Beastie Boys. Be true Ooh. to yourself and you will never fall. That's the, oh. I'm going to go with that. I Listen up. That. This is what I got to say to y'all. Be true to yourself and you will never fall. And I, uh -huh. I really, I really connected to that. Yes, a Beastie Boys quote. Now that's definitely not the answer I was expecting from you, but I love it. That's I love it. You just pulled the rug right from underneath me. Of course, I will take a Beastie Boys quote any day. I love that. Um, who is someone who you think has helped you get to where you are today mm. or inspired you? Fantastic. Um so there's different aspects of my life. Certainly my life partner, my better half is a big part of who I am today and what I do. And we've spent many years together and I'm very, very thankful for their support. Um, I don't know if they want to be named, so I'm not going to help them. <laughs> uh, I, I think I'm very 
grateful. I, I want to I want to point out a couple of different names. So mm-hmm. uh, Scott Birkin, who wrote a book called Confessions of a Public Speaker, oh, and yes. and his book and his advice really helped me in my public speaking craft and to make make it as most meaningful as I can. And I used that when I prepared for TED as well to really use that. It's an, you know, we are public speaking all the time where I'm public speaking right now, but when we are up on our stage, on that stage, we can use our voice to make a difference. We can use our voice to represent something. And it's a really powerful moment. And if, for example, I'm speaking for 16 minutes, but there's a million people listening, that's 16 million minutes, Mm -hmm. you know, of people out there that, that I can make an impact somehow with, with that time. So uh, that yes. was really powerful. His his point of view, Scott Birkin, read his book, Confessions of a Public Speaker. He's got like five or six other great books, but that's the, the first one I would re- want to recommend. Um, I, I got a few more, but in the interest Please. of keeping things streamlined, the woman who organized the Why to Hack conference in Tel Aviv 20 years ago, her hacker nickname was Neo. And she, she wasn't, yeah. And this was before the Matrix movie before came movie. out. Yeah. And she was a real veteran. She was really experienced. She really, uh, you know, just by organizing that conference, even though she, she didn't know me at the time, just by organizing that conference, she created a really important occasion for me that really changed my life. Mm-hmm. And then later on, she supported me and, and mentored me a little bit. So I'm very thankful to her. I don't know if I've said that to her enough. So now's the chance. Thank you, oh, Neil. Love, love it. Uh, um, and I already thanked my partner. I feel like I should <laughs> thank my agent. I'm kidding. <laughs> yes. uh, there, there are a lot, a lot more people. My close friends. I, I can't name everybody. My parents and my close friends. But I'm very, very thankful I think I am the person I am today because of the people that surround me, because of the people that I've had the privilege to be born to, to meet, to make friends with throughout my life, with my sister, uh, who is a fantastic uh, lawyer who specializes in IP and cyber law and has worked on (laughs) bug bounty terms. Amita Lazari, Dr. Amita Lazari. So watch out. There are two of us. (laughs) (laughs) Fantastic. Yes, and I, I think I'm rambling, so I'm going to stop it there. No, I that I love that. I always love asking that question because everybody has such great answers. And uh, I think sometimes we forget that it's not a journey we take alone, right? Uh, we have so many people who inspire us along the way. So Absolutely. That is the end of our conversation uh, or my questions for you. Oh, I do have one last question. I lied. Yeah. Yeah. How can people follow you and your work? Uh, so thank you for having me on the podcast. If you'd like to continue the conversation with me, I'm easily found online as K3R3N3. That's my hacker handle. It's my Twitter handle, K3R3N3. It's basically Karen E, which is my name and the first letter of my last name, but I spell the letter E with the number three. It's not that complicated. Some and people I- don't get it, but I, I hope you do. It's a little <laughs> bit of hacker speak, lead speak. K3R3N3, that's my website, my Twitter handle. You can reach out to me. Happy to hear from the listeners of the podcast. And thank you for having me, Kimberly. Of course. I will leave the links to your handles and your website in the show notes in case listeners, you want to follow her and check her out. Of course, 
again, thank you so much, Karen, for being with us. If you enjoyed this conversation with Karen, like I said, you can go check out her talk at sophos.com slash evolve, and I'll leave the links in the show notes. And if you like what you listen to, you can leave us a five-star review in Apple Podcasts. No pressure, but you can do that. <laughs> thank you so much, Karen. And until next time, stay secure. Yeah.